Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad. And a couple of notes before we get this episode going. Uh, this is a completely a road episode, meaning that I'm recording this not in a nice studio-like setup like I like to have for videos and so on, but more on the road. I literally just landed about an hour ago in Udaipur, India, after spending about a week in Nepal in the Himalayas around Kathmandu. So I've got a lot to talk about Nepal on today's episode, but I just got here. You might hear noise in the background. The room I'm in, the hotel room I'm in, echoes a lot. And also at this time of night, so it's about 8.30 in the evening, at this time of night in Udaipur, all the rooftops will have loud live music. So you might hear a little bit of that or people walking in the hallway uh, I originally was going to record this last night when I arrived back from the mountains. So I went up into the Himalayas for a very special uh, video shoot that uh, I'm just going to tease you with and tell you about maybe in the next episode. But I was up in the mountains. I came back down, got some food and was like, all right, I'm ready to record a podcast. And I was out like I was just it just boom hit me. And I was a little bit worried, too, that I wouldn't wake up from my flight. So. I decided to get some rest, some sleep, and then record it now when I'm just slightly, slightly fresher. So on today's episode, we've got a couple of things to talk about. The first one is general travel in Nepal. I was just there. I was just around Kathmandu and in the Himalayas, like I told you. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about traveling in Nepal, kind of a first impressions of traveling there. And then the second topic I want to get into today is the coronavirus, you know, just keeping it, keeping it light. So we're going to talk a little bit about traveling with the coronavirus, I am somewhat nearby. In other words, I am in Asia. I am, you know, I was in Nepal, which has a lot of Chinese tourists. So I'm seeing a ton, a ton of people wearing masks just all over this region, especially in Nepal. There were just so many people wearing masks. So I really want to get into the science of those masks and whether or not that will help you at all, whether or not you should cancel your travel plans and so on. And then finally, I want to get into jet lag. So I wrote a post about jet lag earlier, or actually last week, that was all about what I do for jet lag, which I think are some uncomfortable ways, but effective ways to get over jet lag and to sort of just make traveling, especially when you're traveling across time zones in an airplane, a lot easier for you. So those are some of my couple of jet lag things, and I got a lot of feedback about uh that post I was a little bit surprised about. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So let's get right into it right now. So let's talk all about Nepal. Uh, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed my time in Nepal. Uh, I wasn't on it, not expecting that, um, you know, sort of Nepal came about really. So the genesis of that trip came about in a couple of ways. One, it's a country I've never been to. Uh, my goal if you're new to the podcast if you're new to the blog my sort of overarching goal that kind of is behind the website uh and just sort of a life goal of mine is to visit every country in the world it's not something i'm in a rush to do uh, I, I obviously have you know don't go i spend a lot of time in places i go back to places and so on but i do want to get to all the countries and nepal was one i had not been to and Pakistan was one I had not been to either. So I was just in Pakistan 
I know I was going to spend about two weeks in India for a couple of secret projects that you'll be finding out about probably in a month or two. So I'm here in India to do those projects. But getting to India from Pakistan is pretty much impossible unless you take a road crossing from Lahore in the middle of the country. So that's one option. It didn't seem something that I wanted to do. And also I, there were a couple of other cities in the south of Pakistan that I wanted to see. So a uh, land crossing was was not going to happen. So I was like, all right, so I got to fly to a place on the way to India, a place that's going to make sense. Uh, so my options were basically uh, Sri Lanka. It could have been maybe, you know, somewhere in Southeast Asia, like Bangkok or something like that. But I kind of wanted to, you know, one that's sort of further away. You know, I wanted to hold off on Southeast Asia for a while. So Nepal made a lot of sense. And I, having just visited Momo Man uh, at his new restaurant in Berlin, uh, if you don't know about Momo Man, he is, uh, Rajesh is a friend of mine who I met in Berlin a couple of years ago, who's got a uh, street food stall at the Berlin uh, street food market that they have every week and just opened a restaurant uh, over the summer. So I went to the opening of the restaurant. So I got to try some food. Anyway, he's a great guy. And um, if you haven't seen that video, I highly recommend you check out that video that I did with him, sort of his life story and how he got to Germany. But the way he talked about Nepal just really got me interested and the food is great too. So uh, anyway, that's what brought me to Nepal. It made a lot of sense. It's on the way to India. Can't get to India from Pakistan directly. Boom, I am in Nepal. So I land in Nepal and uh, I'm feeling a little bit weekend. Um, I did kind of a, I want to call it a street food tour, of, you know, like a tour that I just made up uh, in Pakistan. And I'm pretty sure I ate something I shouldn't have. Uh, so that that had me feeling kind of rough for a couple of days. So I was a little bit low on energy when I got to Kathmandu. So I arrived at Kathmandu uh, at night, so I couldn't really see what things were like. I arrived at my hotel in the Tamil district, which is pretty much backpacker city. So it's where all the tourists and travelers stay, and you just get there, and it's like, boom. You know, you got, you've got hippies, you've got hipsters, you've got all kinds of souvenir shops, like a whole bunch of different places to eat. You see all kinds of foreigners. You see a lot of guys coming up to you, locals, uh, offering you rickshaw rides, bike rides, marijuana, all kinds of stuff. So it was a little bit intense when I first got there. Um, so the first day, first evening was just a little bit intense. But my first mission was to find some momos. And thankfully, I found a bunch of great momo places in Tamil. So a momo... For those of you who don't know, a momo is kind of like a dumpling. It's sort of like an overgrown Nepalese dumpling. It's usually filled either with vegetables, buffalo meat, which is very popular in Nepal, chicken. Uh, those are the, the, main, the main ingredients. And on top of that, I was looking for something called tentuk and tupka. So these are two different soups that you find. They're kind of associated uh, with Nepal and Tibet. Uh, so they're brothy, sort of black pepper spiced, um, clear broth soups with either wide, flat noodles or thin, more like spaghetti-like noodles. Just the thing that you want in the winter time to kind of warm you up, but also uh, it has a little bit of spice, you know, that black pepper kind of spice, and it's easy on the stomach. So 
my first mission was to go and find some momos and find some tentuk. And fortunately, I did. There were a couple of great places to eat in this Tamil district. Um, if any of you want some food recommendations, I can tell you Momo Cave, which is literally hole-in-the-wall type style, but the, the food is clean there. I highly recommend it. It is great. Um, they don't speak any English. Uh, it's super local, uh, but it is in the Tamil area, and the food is just excellent. Um, so, you know, the... the the husband, so this is kind of a husband-wife setup. Husband is, you know, grounding garlic sort of on the ground, like in a little, in a little, uh, whatever you ground garlic in, little, you know, like a marble thing. So he's grinding the, the garlic, which tend to, those soups have a lot of, so he's grinding that on the floor and it's great. So, um, but so if you're, you want hole in the wall style, there you go. There's also another place that I found called the, uh, Tibetan and Nepalese restaurant. <laughs> uh, that's the name. And the food there, it's also very local. You, you, you see a lot of locals eating there. A lot of, I, I want to, like, there seem to be just families there every night. Uh, and the food was excellent. It's a little bit more sit-down restaurant style, a little more developed, a little bit brighter, not as hole-in-the-wall, more like proper restaurant. whole bunch of great Nepalese different types of curry dishes, but also Tibetan soup dishes, and of course, momos. So those are two great places in Tamil to to get momos. Um, so yeah, so that was the first mission. But just wandering around, I, I got to see in Nepal just sort of the effects of the earthquake. So this was something that I was surprised about. So I knew that I was going to see a lot of, of pollution. And when I say pollution, I just opened my laptop up to record the podcast and I noticed that my, you know, my screen was a little dirty and I just wiped it off uh, with my microfiber cloth, which is now basically black. So there's this thick dust on my laptop after a week in Nepal. So I clean my laptop usually about once a week. So I'll just kind of wipe it down, you know, the screen, the keyboard and all that stuff. Uh, but it had this thick, thick, thick black dust on it. It's sort of, it's, black and kind of like a dark brown color. So if you've traveled like in India, you know, that kind of pollution is is not unfamiliar to you, but the the difference of this pollution is basically that it is it's dust and a lot of that dust is because of this earthquake that Nepal had in 2015. So the 2015 Nepalese earthquake, April 2015 if you don't know, killed nearly 9,000 people, injured 22,000 people, had magnitude of about 7.8 to 8.1 uh, on the uh, Mercalli intensity scale. Uh, so uh, it's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful earthquake outside of Kathmandu. The epicenter was in the Gorkha district in Gorkha. And so because of that earthquake, you have a lot of buildings that collapsed a lot of buildings that were just destroyed and damaged. And so now, now when you're walking around, as I was in the main uh, Durbar Square in Kathmandu, so even walking around there, you just see so many buildings and homes and restaurants and so many structures have either wood or metal poles just basically literally holding up the wall. So they're just these, uh, these kind of makeshift supports just holding the face of these buildings from completely collapsing. So you still see a lot of that 
there were still many, many. I was surprised at the number of still buildings that were collapsed. So when I was going up into the mountains, my driver was pointing out, he was saying, yeah, yeah, that building looks like that because of the earthquake. That one is collapsed because of the earthquake. So the rebuilding has been very, very, very slow. And the cost of the earthquake is estimated to cost, has cost Nepal about $10 billion. And that's about half their GDP. So to put that in perspective, if that were the United States, half the GDP is about $10 trillion. So that's the kind of economic cost you're talking about. Obviously, Nepal is a developing country. And so because of all of this construction that's going on, so as they're rebuilding stuff and all the buildings collapsing, put a lot of dust into the air. So this is not sort of the the smog, small particle type pollution that you find in a lot of other major cities they do have that Kathmandu is the uh, according to this DW article the most polluted city in the world but after the first day I literally had trouble breathing and just taking just inhaling there's sort of this thick I don't know how to describe it so it makes your nose burn but also it kind of like it's like breathing I don't even know how to describe it you know, it's so thick. So I actually went with the surgical mask. I was like, everybody's wearing one of the masks and I just had to do it and it kind of helped a little bit. Um, what really helped though was going into the mountains where the air is actually clean, uh, way up, away from the city, up at altitude. That really helped. Then coming back down into the city, I kind of got stuffed up again. I went back to using the mask. and It's the first time that I've used a mask when traveling you know, either just for pollution. It's the first time. And it did make a difference. You can get all kinds of different masks. Surgical masks are pretty common. It costs, I think it was like 20 rupees, which is like cents, basically. So you can get those. Everybody was wearing them. I mean, just everybody. Locals, foreigners, uh, you know, people wearing those masks. So that was something that really surprised me and it really stood out because it was something that I was reminded about every day. Every time I was breathing, I could feel if I didn't have the mask on. So I shot a couple of videos in Kathmandu. And for those, I didn't have the mask on. So I would take the mask off because I'm talking into the camera and walking around. And after those, I was I was struggling. And, and putting the mask on after that didn't help as much. So I can still feel it in my lungs. Um, and in one of the videos, I noticed when I was going over the raw footage that I'm just sort of you know, kind of had this inhale, exhale. And I think that was part of the pollution. Um, but, but going into the mountains did help. So I'm telling you all of that just because of, you know, the the consequences of that earthquake now almost five years on and the effect that it's had on Nepal. So um, it's just kind of a reminder of, of how uh, in a country that's, uh, you know, as a developing country, how long it can take them to sort of get over things that an advanced country or a rich country could easily sort of recover from much more quickly. And so, uh, which kind of leads me into the next topic, uh, which is the coronavirus. But just rounding up Nepal, it's just a reminder of um, how difficult these kind of natural disasters or just, you know, disasters in general can take on these developing countries. Uh, countries so for me to see it you know if 
just how much construction is still going on, how many buildings are still collapsed, and how many buildings are still in a state of really patchwork-style construction, keeping them from just completely falling over was very surprising to me. And uh, it, it, it does put these things much more in perspective for me. However, if you are planning to travel to Nepal, I gotta say, I really did enjoy my time, even in Kathmandu. There's not a lot to do in Kathmandu. It's really sort of a jumping off point. You know, you're probably going to spend a day sightseeing. You can see all the sites. You can go to the monkey temple, which is kind of fun. You know, the monkeys are there. I don't I don't really trust monkeys, but they were, as far as monkeys go, they were pretty okay. Uh, you can get up to the top of that. It's like a 400 stair climb to the top. You can see all around the city. Walking around Kathmandu is very easy just got to watch out for cars but there are no you know big animals on the streets like it's not like india where there are cows and stuff so it's pretty easy to get around you don't have a lot of people coming up to you it's not very crowded surprisingly it wasn't very crowded at all so you've got a day in Kathmandu to do some sightseeing and then you'll probably stay in tamil for a day enjoying that and you most of you are probably going to go into the mountains got i've got basically a couple of videos just telling you all the different sort of options that you have hopping off from Kathmandu, and you've definitely got to go to the mountains. Uh, so uh, that more on that on the next video. It was, I went into the Himalayas. It was the most complicated video shoot I think I've done from a technical standpoint, but it was one of the best travel days that I've had in a very long time. Just one of those days that I wasn't expecting to be as memorable, memorable as it was. And it was one of those moments, like pinch me moments where I was like, I am in... I am looking over at into the you know the Himalaya mountains. I'm at altitude. Um, I'm gonna catch hopefully a glimpse of Mount Everest later in the day, and I'm watching this most spectacular sunrise. So it was one of those pinch me moments. Technically very difficult to film, uh, and I'll talk talk about that in the next video. So anyway, and uh, last thing, uh, people in Nepal extremely friendly, very very friendly. Definitely a land of, of smiles, so I, I enjoyed my time there. And talking about natural disasters, it seems, well, we're going to go right into coronavirus. Getting into this coronavirus stuff, and the, the funny thing is, you know, just taking, just sort of taking you out of the podcast for a minute, so I'm recording this, I'm probably, I mean, between me and the hallway, there's not much. I think there's a screen. So probably everybody in the rooms next to me in the hallways, just walking around the hotel, probably like, what is this guy doing talking to himself? Or they're really excited that they're getting a live episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. How how lucky. So I want to talk a little bit about this coronavirus. <laughs> what a what a segment. What a what a segue, right? And the reason I wanted to talk about it was a couple of different uh travel bloggers, bloggers that I know obviously the media, all kinds of stuff. So I have a couple of different reactions to it. And first of all, uh, about travel plans, whether people should cancel your travel plans and so on. Obviously, if you're going to China, you should cancel those plans because a host of countries today just banned people coming, like visit, like leaving China. So the United States and Australia are two big ones. So if you're coming from China, they're basically canceling those flights and not allowing people to come from China. They're quarantining people. If you, you know, don't go to China. However, there are a whole bunch of other places where I'm seeing people cancel their travel plans, like Bangkok and Singapore and Hong Kong. 
Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, as far as as Hong Kong, let's consider that China uh, in terms of of travel. But um, there were we were talking about Thailand. There's 14 cases in Thailand and Japan. So canceling your plan, you know, to a place like Thailand is probably really honestly just not very useful i mean it's a handful of people in thailand uh, i don't know the specifics whether those people had been to china or not so and the, the distance between wuhan and bangkok is about 1400 miles so it's like so that's 2300 kilometers so that is a quite a distance away so you know, canceling your plans to Asia is just sort of a bulk. When I was in Nepal, people were giving me all sorts of messages like, watch out for the coronavirus. And I was like, I don't know how to watch out for the coronavirus. Like, what is there? Like, it's not going to be just walking down the street. Uh, I'm more worried about just eating something or drinking water that's not clean and then getting sick for a week. Uh, in terms of coronavirus, I'm not too concerned about it because. In terms of the number of people who have coronavirus right now, it's like 11,000 confirmed cases, 253 people have died. And not to not to uh, diminish those people's lives, but in the grand scheme of things, very, very few people. The common flu, influenza kills more people, uh, way more people every year than, than that. I think the, the flu numbers are much, much much higher so let's see 2019 influenza deaths in the united states alone last year according to the cdc about 20 million people had the flu about 300,000 people were hospitalized and about 10,000 to 25,000 people died last year in the united states alone in 2019 according to the centers for disease control and prevention and the United States is a developed country, uh, so they've got access to good medical care. So that's that's how many people died of influenza. So if we compare these two, you know, the numbers just aren't, it, it's not a massive number of people. And uh, yes, I do know that the argument is that if coronavirus makes it to a third world country, Nepal is a good case that they wouldn't be able to control an outbreak and they wouldn't be able to handle, um, you know, they wouldn't be able to contain the virus very well, which is all true. As for for a traveler, though, so if you're going to Thailand, um, the chance of you getting coronavirus is pretty much zero. There's this great thread on Reddit. There's a great uh, Ask Me Anything thread with all these experts from the CDC and other places uh, that are answering people's questions about coronavirus uh, a couple of things you can go through. So one person is asking what are the chances of contracting the virus in a major city outside of China. Da, 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 da. And the answer is it's very unlikely. In a developed country, quarantine procedures are very effective. People who may have been affected are uh, contacted. You know, People who have been affected are contacted and notified to watch their health. If you're in a developing country, it's difficult to tell. But the chance of you contracting the virus is... If you're in a developing country, chance of contracting the virus is much higher because the people already have the virus have likely not been isolated. Thus, you may get it from them. However, overall, your chance of getting contracting corona is quite low. 
Just take safety precautions, such as staying away from people who seem sick. Sanitize your hands and eating surfaces. And uh, that was also something that I found interesting in this thread. So in this thread, they were talking about the type of contagion. So coronavirus has a larger shedding period in an infected individual uh, relative to the common cold, for example. Um, That means a person who is infected is able to infect other people over a long period of time. Now, shedding is when a virus leaves its host in order to infect a new host. Each virus has a different method of spreading. And it says coronaviruses are too heavy to stay airborne. It has to really be in a drop of water, which means it may fly some ways when someone sneezes, but it'll basically come to a surface and settle pretty quickly. This is why hand washing is so important to keep yourself healthy. You are most likely to get sick from touching something that those droplets have settled onto. Fortunately, however, the virus cannot survive more than a few hours on any particular surface. And one of the other things uh, in this thread, but hopping over to this article by CNET talking about two types of masks. So I see a lot of people asking, I've gotten a couple of questions as well, uh, asking, you know, should I wear a surgical mask? There's two different answers, the great answers in this CNET article, face mask versus respirator. And the first one is basically when I say the face mask, it's a surgical mask, you know, that you see on TV or if, you know, when you're in the hospital, you see nurses and doctors wearing these. These are to prevent the splashing of fluids into their mouths. That's pretty gross, but that, that, that makes sense. They, they are loose fitting and allow airborne particles in. People who commonly wear face masks in East Asian countries protect themselves from smog and respiratory diseases but these masks aren't designed to block any tiny particles from the air. And that's one other thing that I also was told about these masks is when it comes to smog and pollution, they don't block out these tiny particles that can get really get deep into your lungs. So in terms of protecting yourself from pollution, it will perhaps filter out some of the heaviest particles. And in Kathmandu, it really helped with the dust and dust is a, very you know fairly large particle but in terms of those small small particles it's not going to help against those at all those are way too small for the surgical masks and the surgical masks also don't contain a seal so this article continues to go on it says a face mask's main purpose is to keep out the liquid of an infected person's sneeze or cough from entering your mouth or nose Wearing one can protect you from getting sick if you are in close contact with someone who is ill and help you prevent and help prevent you from spreading your illness to someone else. Face masks can help prevent hand-to-mouth viral transmissions because you can't directly touch your own mouth while wearing one. However, virologists say the surgical masks cannot block airborne viruses from entering your body. So there you go. Uh, for that, if you want to block viruses, so the surgical mask is not going to protect you from coronavirus uh, when it's airborne, you know, unless somebody like directly sneezes on you or something, you know, then again, if someone's looking ill, you know, you want to try to avoid them anyway, but, uh, you know, you know, so 
let's see. So the second, so to protect yourself from viruses, this CNET article says you'll need a respirator, which is a type-fitting protective device worn around your face. When people say respirator, they usually are referring to an N95 respirator. The N95 respirator gets its name for the fact that it blocks 95% of tiny particles. Several brands manufacture these uh, these respirators. They come in different sizes. If you are shopping for this type of mask, make sure it says N95. Some masks will only say respirator, but if they're not marked N95, you won't get the full level of protection. Dr. Michael Hall, a CDC vaccine provider, tells CNET in an email that a N95 respirator are the most protective, but surgical masks can be worn when taking public transport or entering crowded areas to help you to help protect you from other people's coughs and sneezes. N95 masks are tricky to put on, and you have to watch a video. So I'll leave a link to this article where you can find that video, and there's a guide on how to fit one to your face. So if this is something that you're very concerned about, you want to make sure that you wear the N95 mask properly. Uh, what I do see a lot in the airport today to all the workers in Kathmandu were wearing these face masks, uh, but about half of them had the mask only covering their mouth and not their nose. And then I see a lot of people also doing this. So in Nepal, shaking hands is super common. So like people, especially men. So if you're a guy, people are going to always shake your hands. The driver, hotel, restaurant, whenever you just meet people, they're going to shake your hands. So that's also a no-no. So if coronavirus is something you are very concerned about and you're wearing a mask, probably don't want to shake people's hands either. So you want to you know protect yourself from both ways and you don't want to take the mask off and i see a lot of people they take they were they either have the mask half on or they get warm they take the they pull the mask down and you for it to be effective you really want the mask to be as this article says firmly around your mouth and nose without any gaps and once it's on leave it on a respirator that's only worn sometimes isn't nearly as effective obviously that makes sense so hopefully this has, uh, oh, uh, and it goes on to say, do these respirators actually prevent viral infections? The answer is yes, but the exact effect is difficult to find. Studies show that they are highly effective in preventing viral illnesses, but only in people that actually wear the masks correctly, which is very rare. So there you go. Uh, there's a lot more in this article about those N95 masks. Um, obviously there's a lot of user error in how those masks are worn. People may take them off because other people can't hear them. They may get uncomfortable or hot. They may not have a full seal. So if you are going to go with the mask route and you are concerned about coronavirus when you're traveling, get the proper mask. Make sure you are wearing it properly and wear it all the time. No, uh, doesn't work when it's not on. So it's like sunblock, you know, you can't wear it half the time. You might get sunburn, but chances are you're probably not going to get coronavirus. You're probably much more likely, uh, you're much better off washing your hands very, very frequently, especially after things that we do commonly that we don't think of. People touch money all the time, or you give your credit card, you know, or your passport when you check in at the airport, you know, and there's a lot of transmission of germs through those mediums. So, uh, even though these viruses, a lot of times, many of these viruses die on these services after a few hours. Passport is one, or when you hand your phone over, uh, you know, to if you're asking for directions, 
and the driver grabs your phone or your passport or whatever, you know, so just keep washing your hands and just use good basic hygiene. Uh, you're probably much more likely to get the kind of the, a cold or a flu just because you have so many people on a plane and, uh, you know, if you're traveling, especially in this part of the world, make sure you eat at clean places and take probiotics and, uh, have some antibiotics handy because you might get some stomach illness. That's much more likely to be a problem for you and watch the traffic. It was kind of funny. I was I was talking to a family member. Uh, I was on the phone. They were telling me to watch out for coronavirus, which, which I was like, you know, looking around like there's going to be like a gigantic, you know, like virus just walking down the street. And as I was talking, I wasn't paying attention. I almost got hit by a rickshaw, like a like a minor like baby hit, you know, nothing. Like just like a bump. But I was, I was just thinking like, ah, I gotta worry much more about getting run over by one of these rickshaw drivers than than coronavirus. So hopefully, this has been somewhat helpful to you. So if that's something you're worried about, I don't mean to downplay the potential of the coronavirus, but it's just in terms of numbers. It's not something that's likely to affect many people outside of China, many travelers outside of China. So in terms of travel plans, just, you know, if you're uncomfortable, don't go there. But if you're going to Thailand or Japan or, you know, those places are, yeah, relatively close on the map. But in terms of like actual distance, not close enough, not many confirmed cases. And of course, developed countries are going to be able to handle this a lot better. And if you're going to wear a mask, make sure you wear the right mask all right so let's get into the last topic which is jet lag and now i'm really screaming into the hallways now does it does it i don't know if it sounds like i'm whispering into the microphone but here we go this is how we gotta do it um just a quick note before we go on to the last thing um so the next podcast in two weeks or so it's going to be recorded a little bit early it's going to be a live episode it's going to be a group episode the first one and there's going to be a video as well with it so it's going to be our first live version of the podcast and then the first live video version of the podcast and then the first video version of the podcast it's going to be from india it's it's uh something we've been working on for uh, close to two years um so it's going to go hand in hand with the video project that I'm working on. And uh, I'm excited to share that with you. So make sure that you subscribe. Um, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and make sure your friends are. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. So last thing, All right, I wanted to talk about jet lag. So I realized the other day, so I've been traveling now on this set of travels basically i haven't been in one place for more than three weeks which is the longest i mean when i first started traveling i would go for these long stretches where i would just be new place new place new place and now i'm much more targeted but this for a couple of reasons for a couple of specific projects that were ces before that a couple of other things that i wanted to film or or do and so it just kind of lined up that I was doing all of these, I had all these things planned in all these locations that weren't close to each other. And so it worked out to be this kind of six, almost six month now set of travels. Um, There's just a couple more weeks left, they're going to end in February, and then I'm going to be 
home for a little while. We're going to be in one place to sort of digest everything. But since I've been traveling so much, so I went from Las Vegas and I flew to Islamabad, which, you know, not the most usual route, but it was a long route. While I was on the plane, I began thinking about jet lag. And there's a couple of things that I've noticed um, over the years as I've been uh, traveling and uh, getting older. There's a couple of things that I've noticed, a couple of things that have changed uh, the way I handle jet lag. And um, it's maybe a little bit different advice than, than you've gotten in the, you know, just the generic stuff. So there's a couple of things that I do. The first one is I don't eat on flights. So I don't, I don't really eat on the plane. I might take like a bite or two of some of the food that I get. And, but I don't generally eat on the plane. I eat, I try to eat a big, good, solid meal that I cook or that's, you know, if I'm on the road, that that's hard. But I try to eat a good, solid meal before I head to the airport. And I try not to eat on the plane. There's a couple of reasons for that. So your body clock, in large part, is governed by your liver. So the, the hormones that your liver releases are what control your body's internal body clock. And obviously, jet lag is your body clock being out of sync with your local environment. There's a lot of, that's the major part of what jet lag is. So what you can do uh, to help yourself both sleep um, as well is to not eat. And there's a couple of reasons uh, for that. One is the food on planes is very high in sodium and it's very high in sugar. So there are two reasons. They want to keep the food fresh, make it last long. They want food that's going to obviously survive traveling and kind of be uh, friendly toward that. They don't want stuff that's going to spoil. So it's got a, a very high sodium content and it's very, very usually highly processed food. And because of our livers being timed in part through, I'm sorry, because of our body clocks being uh, timed in part through our livers, when you eat those highly processed food, it causes more work for your liver and it activates your liver at a time that it probably should kind of going into hunger mode. So I read a great book called Why We Sleep, which I just love it. I highly recommend it. Um, the The author, uh, Matthew Walker, was also on the Joe Rogan podcast like two years ago. It's, and if you don't want to, if you're not the reading type, but you want to listen to his podcast on Joe Rogan, really very, very informative uh, podcast. So it's all about sleep. He's a neuroscientist. Uh, but he basically said that our evolution has primed our bodies to become sleepy a short time after our final meal of the day. And you might not realize it, but your body clock has has gotten, you know, gets accustomed to you, to the times that you eat during the day and the time that you normally fall asleep. And if you eat a huge meal, there's this gap afterward where you might not sleep right away, where, you know, sometimes you eat a huge meal, you get really tired and you want to take a nap but there's a rebound effect that happens. And when we get the deepest, most rest, restorative sleep, according to Matthew Walker, is a couple of hours after we've had our last meal. So when we are, our stomachs are empty, digestion has sort of finished. So we don't have food in our stomach. Things are in the lower part of the intestine. That's when we get into that deep sleep. It's when the body focuses on that healing, restorative sleep. And when you're traveling, when you're, on an airplane, the faster you can get into that state. So if you're flying, you know, in the evening, you want to get into that state. And if you're flying during the day, um, again, 
it can help to to take a nap so you can catch up on sleep if you are already sleep deprived which more than 80% of people are according to the book so and also it's easier to kickstart your system than to slow it down so if you're traveling during the morning you've got a long flight you're going to arrive in the evening when you eat again in the evening when you arrive it will sort of get your system moving and then a couple hours later it's sleep time uh so it's easier to start the system rather than to eat on the flight the whole flight land and most people when you land and you get to your destination you're going to eat again and then when you do that your clock is all screwed up because you've got all this food in your system especially that airplane food that's highly processed and your system is going to take you know for four or five hours to recover from that and you're not going to get good sleep and when you are jet lagged you want to be able to control when you sleep and when you don't sleep and you want to make sure that when you do sleep you get quality sleep so it's better to according to this why we sleep book it is better to get sleep when you can when you're jet lagged as opposed to trying to um stay awake and not get sleep so don't tire yourself out your clock is going to your body clock is going to adjust on its own so if you can sleep one of the biggest things that we have when we're jet lagged is the ability like getting poor sleep so when you do sleep you want to get that good sleep one of the ways you can do that is by avoid eating on the flight second thing that i do um that i'm kind of crazy about i don't always get to do this but about 80% of the time is to go for a run right after my flight so those of you <clears throat> you know friends and family uh who know me when i come for a visit one of the first things i'll do is like say hello and then i will go straight for a run or straight to the gym straight for a workout depending on the time of day or night that i'm there if it's later in the evening i'll do a bunch of pushups i'll do jumping jacks i'll do sit-ups i'll work out for about 30 minutes if i'm in a place where the weather is nice where i can go for a run i'll go for a you know 45 minute run and if i'm really feeling up for it i'll go to the gym if that's an option the reason i do that is because it can help speed up your body clock so for me personally i feel a lot better it helps with the having swollen ankles um, it just generally i've noticed that it does make me feel better so as soon as i get to the, my destination everything in me is just like just sit down eat a huge meal and just sleep but i find that if i can get in a good workout and then eat and then shower you know and all that stuff i'm going to feel a lot better the next day and i'm going to feel a lot better that evening it's going to help me get a better night's sleep um and there's some actually some studies that kind of back up what i'm noticing anecdotally and so uh a cardio focused workout according to this washington post article can help speed up our body clocks to a new time zone the impact of running in specific may have a significant impact on com- combating jet lag shortening it up to 8 times in limited animal studies. So there hasn't been a lot of studies done on these but um there is some evidence to show that cardiovascular exercise running in particular might help you adjust much much faster to a new time zone and the general rule even in this why we sleep book is you for every for every wait hold on what is it yeah for every hour for every hour time difference that you travel so if there's you know if you're traveling from New York to Istanbul there's 8 hour time difference it's going to take you about 8 days for your body clock to adjust um so 
according to this, if you can speed that up by eight times, you know, you might, you might kind of be, your clock might be reset in two or three days instead, if you're, you're being optimistic. Um, so a good cardio workout, something that I would highly recommend getting an, a good sweat, just something that's going to make you sweat, get your heart rate up. You can also reduce your chance of blood clots as well, um, which is a problem that a lot of people face, especially when they're sitting for a long time. So I try to stay as active as possible. I don't usually come straight to the hotel and then sit down for an hour and record a podcast. Usually I will go for a run, although it's not really possible here to go for a run on these streets. Forget about it. But um, So normally, yeah, go for a workout. So that's my next tip. And then the last thing is to control the mornings. So like I said before, you can't really control when you sleep. Sleeping is, you know, you can't be like, you're not tired you can't i can't you can't will yourself to sleep but you can will yourself awake so one of the easiest ways to control um your body clock is control the morning so make sure that you wake up in the morning at the time that you would normally wake up back home it might suck you might only get you know five hours of sleep but make sure that you wake up at eight if you wake up at eight normally during the week make sure you wake up at eight at your new destination it's going to suck that first day probably. You're going to want to hit the snooze, but don't just get up right out of bed. Uh, I like to I like to go for a workout immediately after as well, so that can help you stay awake once you're awake. Um, but just getting out of bed as close to that, you know, that time that you normally get up can really help you adjust. It's going to make you feel more tired at night, so it should help you get more quality, more a higher percentage of quality sleep, and that percentage should increase day by day by day as you go on. If you mess that up by sleeping in, you know, until 12 or 1 o'clock on your first day at your new destination, that's going to throw you way off. It's going to take you, you know, one or two weeks to really feel normal again. And you might be sleeping, you might be, you know, getting through the night even after the first week, but that quality of sleep might not be very good. You still might be feeling a little bit sluggish or cranky or whatever. So um, just keep that in mind. Two other things. There's a great book called Buzz, which is what caffeine and alcohol do to your body. Uh, why we sleep also touches on these two chemicals that a lot of us like to, to use from time to time. Uh, I had coffee this morning and I'll be getting a beer after this podcast, I think. So um, these chemicals, if you take caffeine, uh, the quick thing is, Take those as early as possible in the morning after you wake up, but don't consume any afternoon when you're trying to get over a jet lag. And alcohol is, uh, you know, can be a lot of fun, but, and it can help you fall asleep. It can get you into the lighter stages of sleep much more quickly than you normally would, but it, uh, alcohol blocks rapid eye movement and deeper stages of sleep. So if you can try to keep it to one drink, if possible, until your jet lag is completely gone or avoid alcohol altogether. And if you're really feeling like you want to really restore yourself, if you're a big coffee drinker and you really like pain, cut out the caffeine too and you're going to sleep. It's going to be rough the first couple of days, but you're going to feel really rested after that first week. Then you can use your caffeine to sort of jumpstart your system again if you want. So uh, those are just some of my jet lag tips to you listening to the podcast and everybody in this hotel can 
listen to me through the screen in this hotel room. Uh, hopefully this has made a little bit of sense. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. It's been kind of a little bit all over the place. Please do forgive me. Um, it was either Himalaya me who couldn't breathe from the mountains coming back at midnight and uh, just trying to trying to make sense of the last you know the latest episode or it's going to be Udaipur me who's a little bit a little bit tired and a little bit hungry and looking forward to dinner but hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast the next episode like i said is going to be a live episode we're going to hopefully get video I'm trying to get a, a space in mind and speaking about videos the opium video uh, a lot of you have sent me messages about the opium video from pakistan that one is in the queue it's ready i've just really got a film just i've got to just do basically the talking head segment of that to explain some parts of it but that's ready and i have a backlog of 10 videos now that are pretty much ready to go i've just got to sit down and edit them but i'm filming every day so editing the videos can't i'm i'm finding it difficult to film and edit at the same time so i've just decided i'm going to get the footage i can now and then try to put those out as quickly as possible there's going to be a new video coming out uh, if you're listening to this probably on Sunday so a new video is going to be coming out on Monday from Pakistan so just keep an eye out for that thanks very 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 much for watching uh, for watching <laughs> for listening to the latest episode of the podcast if you're still here make sure you give a five star rating on iTunes if you're listening on Google Podcasts Spotify wherever you listen to podcasts it's a huge 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 help and there's some exciting things coming up for the podcast as well that I want to share with you but I'm not going to I'm going to tell you in an upcoming episode thanks very much for listening happy travels and I'll talk to you in the next episode